Hi everyone, Boris here. Sorry for the quick interruption, but I have to tell you about some exciting new job openings that are added to the LogTechies job board. Have you heard of the LogTechies job board? LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. That's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Brand new to the board is Bex Technologies from Stuttgart, Germany. Bex is building a logistics platform for the construction industry that helps companies coordinate deliveries to construction sites. I've had CEO and co-founder Leonard Paul on the podcast before, and I know they're going places. Right now, they're hiring for a number of exciting roles, including a CFO, COO, and a head of logistics. Alaiko from Munich, Germany is another new addition to the LogTechies job board. Alaiko offers seamless e-commerce fulfillment for fast-rising online shops and e-commerce brands. The company raised $30 million in a Series A round earlier this year and is now on an ambitious growth trajectory. They are looking to fill a number of sales roles, for example, for junior as well as for seasoned professionals. You should definitely take a look at Alaiko's openings. Aside from Bex Technologies and Alaiko, you will also find exciting roles from TradeLink, Noise Technologies, FanRide, Sender and others. Please have a look and follow the board so you can stay updated on when new companies and jobs get added. You find the LogTechies job board at LogTechies.com. L-O-G-T-E-C-H-I-E-S.com. LogTechies.com. All right, and now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe podcast. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today's episode is hosted by Dana von der Heide, e-commerce expert and founder of Parcel Perform. Her guest today is Mike Richmond, the chief commercial officer of Doddle, a very cool technology startup from the UK that wants to change the way e-commerce deliveries are made. Doddle is building very innovative technology that enables e-commerce customers to collect and return their online shopping from the place that suits them best. Whether that's a parcel locker, a retail location or a gym, almost anything goes. Super interesting conversation. I hope you agree. Let's go. All right, everyone. Uh, today we have a very, very special guest here at the Logistics Tribe. One of our fellow tribe members from the UK is dialing in today. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Dana. Hi, Mike. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Mike uh, works for uh, Doddle, who are really changing the way deliveries are made. And I think he will share a lot with us on his experience and maybe also a little bit of insights how he became the chief commercial officer over at Doddle. But yeah. let's get started. Um, Mike, maybe it would be always awesome to get the introduction from your side. Tell us a little bit. How did you end up in the logistics industry? Give us a bit of an intro. Uh, yeah, so probably unconventional way. Uh, I was a lawyer for five or six years, and then I worked for a mobile technology business. Um, and a guy who I worked with in a mobile technology business that was a UK public listed business um, moved across to be the CFO at Doddle. And Doddle at that time was a startup, um, but a kind of unique startup. The initial version of what we wanted to do was create... Um, at a brand around pickup and drop off. So a consumer brand. So we had 50 bright purple doddle parcel <laughs> shops in the UK. So these were in the, in the most uh, high footfall sort of locations across the UK. So big train stations, city centers, there was a doddle store. And in that doddle store, there was people and changing rooms. And the idea was you could buy from any retailer through any carrier and pick up in that physical location. So I buy from Amazon through Yodel, pick it up at Doddle. I buy from eBay through Royal Mail, pick it up at Doddle. So trying to make pick up and drop off 
uh, or collection and return of online shops super easy. Nice one. Businesses have evolved quite a bit since then. That was definitely the version version one of our business that we launched in 2013-14. Now it's a kind of a very different business that focuses on helping parcel carriers globally uh, achieve their goals in Pudo. And these are truly exciting times for working with parcel carriers and optimizing their Pudo networks, given all the growth that we have seen uh, in the last few months. How was it for you, the, the COVID season, before we look into the details of your business, Mike? Uh, yeah, busy. Um, so, so I think the, the parcel carriers have had an interesting kind of year, to say the least. All of them are carrying way more parcels. Uh, than they were before, you know, 30, 40, 60, 100% growth. Those that carry mail, so the kind of the, the national postal operators have seen significant declines in mail volume. So there's, there's been this sudden shift to parcel growth. Uh, people talk about, you know, five or 10 years acceleration in, in 2020. Uh, and with that, they've had that dual kind of that dual challenge of, well, how do I, how do I keep the parcels moving today? At the same time as how do I think about what this means for my own future? So, um, you know, the businesses which we already work with are doubling down and, 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 uh, and really excited about the, the, the future. The businesses that we're looking to work with are both interested in how out of home delivery and returns will become more important to their future strategy, whilst at the same time as trying to kind of keep the lights on and cope with the insane volumes that they're all dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for, for all the logistics players out there, it has been a huge opportunity and a season for growth, but also operational, operationally a huge challenge to just keep the business afloat and like cater Definitely. to the demand, right? Definitely. Um, and I think, Mike, you're also not uh, just in the UK, but you really operate a very global business um, that you shared with me earlier. Uh, maybe give us a few examples. What are the carriers that you guys are working with and where are they based? I hear, heard something about Saudi Arabia as well. Yeah, so uh, we are live in five countries, uh, the UK, Australia, Japan, Saudi Arabia and the US. Um, different different models, slightly different models in each of them, but in each of them we kind of we focus our operations on on the parcel carriers. So a good example is Australia Post, uh, where we have a long term deal with Australia Post to help drive the number of parcels they deliver to out of home locations. So they have 4,300 post offices. They have about 400 parcel lockers. Uh, we are growing with them a network of two and a half thousand Pudos. So collectively then you've got sort of 7,000 locations where a customer can use as an alternative to home delivery. And danger not to get on my soapbox here, but <laughs> I fundamentally believe that there's this, there is a opportunity for posts and carriers to increase the percentage of parcels they deliver to out of home. There are markets in the world which have proven that out-of-home delivery can be a real success and markets which are doing 40, 50, 60, 70% of, of all parcels delivered to these out-of-home networks. Whereas in Australia, you might see 5%, in the US, 3%, in Japan, 1% of deliveries going to out-of-home locations. And so um, what we've seen in the last few years is this huge acceleration in both parcel shops uh, and lockers and the posts and the parcel carriers we work with are looking to try and capitalize that and see how they can benefit from that, utilize networks they have uh, and benefit from the kind of the unit economics and other benefits they get from out of home delivery. 
And obviously all these questions around having deliveries, out-of-home deliveries, um, are always a question between demand and supply, right? And I heard a few yeah. carriers saying, look, my customers want their goods to be delivered at home. Do you have a few stats or insights for us? Maybe from the markets where you mentioned, we already see a high adoption rate around this, how customers really want to get their deliveries, for example, into a parcel locker. Yeah, I mean, so there's a definite, there's a cause and effect thing for me there. You know, my customer always wants home delivery because that's what they've always had. That's the way it is in the UK. Yeah. You look at Sweden and Sweden haven't set their market up that way. 70% of deliveries in Sweden go to out of home locations, to lockers and parcel shops. Out of home delivery has a higher customer satisfaction score than home delivery. So this isn't about what your customers want and don't want. And actually, out of home delivery costs less than home delivery. So you might pay three euros for an out-of-home delivery and seven euros for home delivery. The logics of that play through, right? If you're, if you're delivering as a carrier 10 items to one location, that's much more effective than delivering 10 items to 10 locations. So therefore, the unit economics should be shared back with the retailer to share that back with the consumer who's paying that purchase price. So, but the, the Swedish model has always been set up around Pudo first and home delivery is a premium. Other markets like the UK, you've started with parcels being delivered to home. So the parcels in the UK came off the back of mail order businesses, the catalogues that used to buy things from a catalogue. Mm -hmm. You know, used to have a 28-day delivery time with Royal Mail for a parcel. <laughs> that became seven days, that became five days, but it was always through mail and it was always right. through home. So Royal Mail were the predominant carrier. And so it's your kind of expectation has been set there. And you've also had this expectation about free home delivery. So the yeah. customer's spoiled. How do, you, how do you move a customer away from that? Because obviously home delivery is great, but I think there is a balance there because you know home delivery doesn't cost nothing. Home delivery is hard and expensive uh, and is you know is proving to be even more hard when you've got to factor in unit economics, you've got to factor in capacity, you've got to factor in drivers. Like, are we going to continue from a capacity perspective, just building more sheds and putting more vans on the road to solve the problem of doubling and tripling of e-commerce parcel volume? That's That's not the answer. There has to be a more sensible way of doing it. And you look at China, you know, the biggest e-commerce market in the world, bar none, you know, 50, 60 billion parcels a year, 40% of parcels in China go to Pudo, into lockers and into parcel shops. Like they know this because it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's really, really hard <laughs> to deliver a parcel to a consumer in China in really densely populated cities. Absolutely. So Hivebox have 330,000 locker banks, 20 million individual doors, like... They just have the scale infrastructure to show how Pudo could work. Sorry, it's a really long answer. No, absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. And I mean, the question is, how can you make the market understand, right? And uh, from what I understand for your work is you merely work or especially you work with the carriers to get them to really understand the need, the opportunity for them to optimize their business, their cost structure and kind of teach their end consumers maybe also that this is the better way of delivery, better for everyone because they get to choose when to deliver their parcels. And I think, um, yeah, maybe how do you go about this? You know, I think uh, take UK as a market, how can we convince the carrier that this is actually the favorable option for their long-term growth? So it's a great question. So I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like we, we provide the carrier with the infrastructure, but that definitely isn't where it stops. Um, I, 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 something I fervently believe is Pudo will only really work if there is alignment between all the parties in the Pudo ecosystem. So there's four parties really that exist in that Pudo ecosystem. There is the retailer, the online merchant, there's the parcel carrier, there's the, the Pudo network, and that might, you know, that might like, that's technology and, and a physical location. And then there's the consumer. So those are the four parties. 
if they are all disaggregated and completely separate and operate independently, trying to make money in their own separate way, the Pudo right. network will not will not succeed. So, like, well, maybe, maybe wouldn't like, that's not a fact, but all of the evidence points to it's much much harder. Where there is more alignment and and, and um, alignment both commercially but also like strategically between the retailer, the merch, the retailer, the carrier, the location, and the consumer, then you start to see Pudo being a real success. So Hivebox, the example in China, yeah. effectively, you carriers own that Pudo network. So the carriers and the Pudo network are effectively intrinsically linked. So those right. two things are working very closely together, providing the benefit to the consumer. You look at PostNord, they own both the carrier and the Pudo network, but they're also incentivizing the retailer to incentivize the consumer. Those guys are all aligned. Yeah. Amazon. Amazon are a retailer. They're a logistics provider. They have Amazon Hub now, which is their locker and parcel shop network. And what a surprise. They're incentivizing consumers with a five-pound discount to drive those consumers to use Amazon Hub in the UK. So you've got this alignment, whereas where you've got um, a different set of relationships between those people and a carrier just saying, we should think you should use Pudo because it's great, that won't work. You have to provide the sort of infrastructure and the, um, you know, the, the alignment to make that work. Absolutely. Which brings us to your role and the role of Doddle in this ecosystem. Maybe for the listeners that don't know your business so well yet, uh, share a little bit more because I think there's the synergy between, you know, operating assets and operating a white label technology like you guys do. Yeah. So, so in the UK, as I kind of talked about at the start, like we, Doddle was a B2C brand. So we were a Pudo business known in the UK by consumers, but outside of the UK and, and, you know, our, our focus globally now is, is as a B2B business. So you wouldn't see the Doddle brand in Australia or in Japan. You might see it somewhere in the URL hidden, but it's not, a, it's not a business that people know of. So we provide effectively three things to, to parcel carriers. One is, um, an ability to work with merchants, e-commerce merchants to provide a different delivery option on the checkout. So in most markets globally, on a checkout, you typically just see home delivery. You may see home delivery fast and home delivery slow. You may even see same day. So you have like a, a, a principle of putting an address in and getting a delivery to that address. We provide the opportunity to create a, an alternative, which is a pickup point. And that can be whatever locations you want to use. But the integration to the merchant checkout is complicated, takes time, is really valuable real estate for those merchants. The merchants don't want to play around with their checkouts. It's very, very prized. If something goes wrong, they're in, you know, that's a really big thing for them. So making it really easy, making it absolutely secure that a merchant can put a store finder or a location finder on that checkout and do it in a very simple way that's, that's, um, you know, not going to fall over is really, really important. So the first thing we do is do the store finder. The second thing is we, we, provide a Pudo application to make parcel shops work. So I said in Australia before, we have the, the Pudo application for their parcel shops, but they have 4,300 post offices and a network of lockers. We also interface all of those things together. So the consumer is getting one series of, of collection options when they make a decision to choose. They can use the locker, the parcel shop, or the post office. Yeah. The third thing we do then is manage digital returns. And something uh, we were talking about just before on this, uh, before this this podcast was um, the, we provide a white label digital returns platform to a parcel carrier, and there is a you know a probably slightly geeky debate happening. Uh, that I you love have geeky with, debates. <laughs> love geeky debates that that you have with parcel carriers around what's the role of the parcel carrier returns. There are some that say, I was posting on LinkedIn about this earlier. Like my job as a parcel carrier is to move parcels. Right. They are returns or they're outbound. I don't care. They're a parcel. I get to move. So more returns is great. But more returns is 
probably, arguably the biggest, certainly a top five challenge for the industry uh, in terms of e-commerce. How do you how do you minimise the the impact of high volumes of returns rates? And some leading parcel carriers are starting to say, I need to play a role in in online returns, and we help parcel carriers do that through a digital returns platform. Cool. Thank you so much, Mike. And what I really like about your business, and I think quite similar to the one that I'm operating, is that it's all white label. You know, in the end, it matters that the customer has a good experience and that it's like neatly included in their existing customer journey and uh, what has been implemented for them. So instead of putting another brand right in the middle to confuse the customers, you guys kind of play along, you you, you mirror the merchant brand, you nicely include there, which I think is a very important development and something that I rarely see with carriers on and players in the logistics industry, right? Everyone is so passionate about getting their brand out, bringing it in front of the customers, where you guys don't mind being the guys in the background um, offering white label solutions, right? Yeah, not at all. Uh, you know, but, but we were we were that business, right? So we did try and do that. We tried to disrupt. And when we started Doddle in 2014, we came to market and it was a build it and they will come. We had to be quite challenging. We had to be a, a like a really aggressive brand because we wanted consumer adoption and we wanted the market to take up and take notice because we wanted to try and change the way customers collect and return parcels. You know, but this is a big, slow, heavy, heavy infrastructure industry that moves very slowly. And, you know, probably the, the, the war wounds and the, and the learnings of those first few years running very hard on that model was, you know, this is, this is really hard to change. And so one of the things we learned was that what we thought was easy to disrupt maybe wasn't as, as easy to disrupt. And the position of those incumbents, the big parcel carriers was, it's actually, in a, they're in a great place. They just need to help innovate. They just need, they need some, they need some, um, many of these carriers are looking at a part, more of a partner model rather than it will build it themselves model to help them on an innovation journey. And that was like a, kind of a, a hard lesson to learn because it was, you know, it was the, the reason we, we basically had to move away from that model in 2016, 17, but yeah. a good lesson to learn because it's allowed us to build a business, which, you know, is now in, in a good place. Yeah. Congratulations on that success. Well-deserved. You also touched base on a very important matter. Um, how do we convince the established players to think more innovative, to be open for partnerships? So I think you're dealing with all the carriers. What's your secret to success? How do you warm them up to the idea to be open, consider returns as an opportunity, offer more alternative delivery solutions for their customers? Uh, yeah. Well, the secrets, I don't know. Uh, it's hard, right? I, I, so I think the thing that I've reflected on in the last few years particularly is about people. And so yeah. you meet some people who are of a mindset that they are open-minded to what the future might look like uh, and willing to engage in a conversation. Those people are sadly quite hard to find. And there's probably a, there's probably a type of person who goes and works in a big institution and particularly the governmental postal institutions who, you know, yeah. It's easier to not do something than to do something, but you know you do you do come across people who are um, who are active and like you know interested and passionate about what they do and willing to entertain and willing to debate and you know LinkedIn's a weird tool for me. LinkedIn is a it could be could be incredible. I still think it is pretty good. I find it like a quite a good place to engage in conversation with people. Yeah. Uh, and you find, you know, it gets a lot of stick for for um, being a place where people post about their dogs. But most of the time, the people <laughs> the people who engage, I think, on LinkedIn are just interested in having a conversation. So you find more of those types of people on LinkedIn. And you know, I'm I don't know, 
post things. I challenge challenge people's opinions. I'll ask questions. I think um, sometimes you can come across some good people on that as a talk. Fantastic. So one thing I mentioned already, you uh, have a big, pretty big success in Saudi Arabia. Tell us, how did you win that deal and what are you guys doing there? Was LinkedIn your channel to success for this one? Uh, no, it wasn't actually. It was through uh, some contacts from the UK who ended up working for the business that is a partner of ours out there, a business called Starlinks, who is one of the leading third-party logistics businesses in Saudi Arabia. Um, I mean, like, so I mentioned earlier, so out of home, my world is out of home delivery for parcel carriers and returns. We look at all the markets globally and we look at the percentage of deliveries that go to an out of home location. So right. it starts with Japan. 99% of deliveries go to home and 1% go to out of home. And it goes up to Finland where 90% of deliveries go to out of home and 10% deliveries go to home. And so in the middle there, all the way down that, that curve, you've got different businesses, different, different countries, sorry, at different, um, different positions. Saudi Arabia is relatively low in terms of e-commerce. Um, parcels that get delivered to our home, but it's also one of the areas where there are the biggest challenges around home delivery. So distances, huge country is right. a huge problem. So the distances between deliveries make the, the number of drops per, per route very, very difficult. Uh, and one of the biggest factors is the, um, is the lack of a sort of nationally recognized addressing system. So, you know, I've been in Saudi in a distribution center and seen labels on parcels that say, Junction 23 of this road, you know, and then call this number. And so, yeah. you know, when you've got poor addressing and you've basically got a very inefficient model of, of trying to get in touch with the customer to make a delivery, which revolves around phone calls between driver and consumer, like that's not great. That's, that's failed deliveries. That's a bad experience. So actually, why don't you start to, you know, it's a relatively young, but fast growing e-commerce market. Why don't you try and take some of the learnings of the Swedish model? start with great aggressive Pudo growth, out of home delivery as the core of the network, and then make the home delivery kind of almost um, fork off that and kind of be an extension of the, of, the, of the Pudo model. So we're really excited about the opportunity we're working on there. There's some really fast growing e-commerce businesses there. Um, Souk, which was bought by Amazon, I think is now called Amazon, is growing really aggressively. There's another Saudi Arabian sort of big e-commerce player called Noon um, and lots of lots of inbound volume from European markets too. Cool. And then in that case, you also become basically the white label technology between the actual Pudo operators and uh, the carriers, correct? Yeah. So in that, in that example, Starlinks Connect is the parcel carrier and the Pudo network. So they do, they all align between the, you know, and you can consider Doddle as part of Starlinks Connect. So right. Doddle is Starlinks Connect's proprietary technology in the, in the territory. We sit and work with them as the carrier and the, and the, and the physical locations, which are in pharmacies, gas stations, supermarkets, those types of locations, talking to merchants, to online merchants about making this delivery option available to Saudi Arabian consumers. So I think for everyone out there that owns a, or operates a technology business, I think one of the challenges is always how do you integrate, right? Especially with legacy system, which I'm sure you find a lot of them if you operate with carriers. So how yeah. do you guys kind of overcome the challenge of having multiple tools, multiple integrations to deal with? It's hard. Um, I mean, the, 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 the principle is if we can get this right in the first place, we can make the next 10 years of growth in this area much more efficient. So if we can, if, for example, we can set up our infrastructure correctly and do the integrations correctly with Australia Post, then we are probably more flexible, more able to help them integrate to more merchants in, 
in a in an Australian you know, e-commerce market. So one time into Australia Post allows a more dynamic platform to be then integrated onto the checkouts of of the e-commerce merchants using things like um, platform plugins for Shopify, Magento, Commerce Cloud, and those types of things. So I think not cutting corners and taking the time to do the proper integrations and setting up the initial integration right, making sure that the partner is aware of the scale of the of the work. Like these are sadly long sales cycles. They are long integration periods. They have like months long testing processes. Like that's the reality of where we are. But if you can get it right in the first place, then um, the reality is hopefully you can you can start to build on that um, with a long term kind of a long term partnership strategy. Right. Absolutely. I think if we go back to the beginning where we talked about what could be alternative delivery points, right? Out of form delivery, um, you have a parcel locker, which is just one example of many. I think a lot of people now, especially in times of COVID, specifically the offline retailers, they're trying to figure out ways to kind of uh, do, you know, fulfillment from store, click and collect from store. Uh, where do you see the future heading there? What are the innovative solutions? Where do you think the need is the biggest for um, partners and suppliers to play a part? So I think uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the other half of our business. So, so I um, work with carriers and there's a guy called Dan Levin uh, who is who's in charge of our kind of engagement with retailers globally. Like we, Our heritage and history is in click and collect. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that the UK is probably one of the most developed click and collect markets in the world. And when I say click and collect, I mean retailer, John Lewis, selling their customers to come and pick up in a John Lewis store or John right. Lewis's partner, which is Waitrose. You know, John Lewis or Marks and Spencer's, two of the lead, or Next, you know, three of the leading multi-channel retailers in the UK will all talk about over 50% of their online orders being collected in store. That's amazing. Right. Yeah, that is a, as an, as an online customer coming into a physical store and all of the metrics say that omnichannel customers, you know, your online and your physical customers are the most valuable metric because they, they buy in both channels, they associate with you as a brand, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So I think there's a huge amount of growth in, in click and collect to come in other markets. I think that also natural consequence of that is whatever you want to call it, instant click and collect. So the big challenge of merchants today is that a lot of the stuff that they are having collected in their stores is being shipped to that store. So it's incurring a shipping cost to get yeah. there because they don't know what's in their stores. They may have stock, you know, availability of like stock skew availability of like 60 or 70%. So as retailers are investing in their stock visibility, so I know what's in my store, I can reduce the number of shipments to the store, but I can also increase the amount of things I can say that's instantly available today. I did a, a blog last year where I was talking about um, I think there are like five or six UK merchants who have same day or instant click and collect. That's crazy, right? You know, that's like, you'd think if you've got a store network of three or four or 500 stores or you're someone like Boots with two and a half thousand stores, your biggest competitive advantage against Amazon is I've got this stuff down the road from you. If you want it, you can pick it up today. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to come from Amazon, but they don't because they don't have the visibility. So there's this huge push towards once you get the visibility or, or trying to find a way to make instant click and collect available um, to allow customers to buy things and, and get them instantly. And I think that instant click and collect is a is a more sustainable answer to the kind of the same day delivery challenge that we kind of we we, we see businesses coming up against right now. Yeah, you mentioned same day. That uh, certainly is a big discussion. The other day we were having a round on Clubhouse. Are you actually already on there? 
Uh, I am on Clubhouse. (laughs) So, yeah, we had a big debate on Clubhouse whether, you know, same day is dead or long live same day. And I think here in Germany, you can see a lot of developments with established players like DHL and the likes of them basically stopping their same day delivery uh, offer. Whereas uh, I'm a big believer in that that is actually the future. We see a lot of really best practices um, in markets in Asia, for example. What's your stance on same day? Um, yeah, I mean, China, there's so much to live the same day and they make it work, but I think China has to be cons- sort of considered the exception, not the rule. Um, I think in European markets, in North American markets, in, in Australasian markets, same day will always be something, but will never be mainstream. I don't know. There was a, there was a New York Times article last year, which talked about, you know, what percentage of your online orders are truly urgent? And they estimated right. like two, two to 5%. You know, those things that you like, I really need right now. I was saying, you know, thinking earlier, like it snowed in the UK yesterday, and I don't have a sledge for my four-year-old when she comes back from nursery, and that is absolutely classic case. So, so I do think there are some orders which which do could be could be, um, you know, well, there is there is this need for same day, but I don't think most of the stuff I buy online needs same day delivery. Uh, and when you think about the, the the costs of it, most of the businesses that were doing same day in the UK were doing it at a massive loss. We're doing it at an unsustainable price and they were doing it to try and gain market share in that race against investment growth versus losses and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think, sorry, pretty long-winded answer. Same day has a place, but a pretty narrow place uh, in society. And I, th- I think actually the other thing that's worth flagging on that is the Gartner put out a really interesting report last year, late last year, that was one of their Maverick reports talking about actually when consumers think about the ecological or or the environmental impacts of a same day delivery that will change their behavior away from away from thinking i do need this urgently and you know there are other costs associated with a same day delivery Absolutely. I think just at the times uh, are now, we also see a lot of grocery deliveries. So you see a lot of kind of uh, bike riders uh, storming through the wind and uh, snow here in Berlin, trying to deliver your your parcels. So that's a whole different story probably, but that's very much optimized. Um, I believe having, uh, you know, parcel lockers as one example, giving you the opportunity to have multiple delivery rounds um, every day that utilizes your assets, um, but it requires obviously very different operational processes as well. Well. Yeah, there's there's a there's an idea and there's a there's a model for same day which I love. I've not been able to get on to kind of to to jump on the on the on the bandwagon yet, but like someone like a Nike or an Adidas or even an e, I don't know who the who the business might be, but Nike in London, um, five hundred lockers and parcel shops in gyms. Um, so Nike want to do same day to differentiate against all the other sports brands and Amazon and whoever else they sell against in London, one of their core cities, um, build a Pudo network that operates in, a, in an environment where they know their customers want to be, use parcel lockers and, and parcel shop technology, so some sort of app in those gyms, and make the delivery on a kind of milk round basis. So Nike's DC in central London is delivering to those 500 locations every day. You can right. do same day on a sustainable basis there if you're doing 10 items to one location, that location is a B2B location rather than a consumer's house at the top of a tower block, which you don't know where it is. You can make you can make same day work. You can't do it to yeah, whatever a million addresses in central London. That's just it's just not possible. But I think that's effectively what Amazon have, Amazon have tried to prove as well. And I think someone like a Nike or an Adidas or a, or a John Lewis or whoever it might be making that work on a on a same day basis in a very densely populated city could be a cool way for for Western Europe to prove whether same day might work. 
Absolutely. That's a very good idea. So if anyone uh, out there is listening to it, get in touch with Mike and uh, he might probably be able to offer you a solution. Um, I'm there. <laughs> Mike, one thing that I'm also always very curious in is how can we make logistics, you know, in, in everyone's uh, thoughts at the moment, uh, vaccine deliveries to like everyone getting their groceries at home. How can we make it an attractive kind of uh, industry for future talents? What's your stance on, you know, how sexy is, industry, is logistics these days? And how can we make it more attractive win more talents for the industry yeah it's, it's a really good question um you know i think so i think naturally fulfillment fulfill tech log tech whatever you want to call it is becoming more prominent in terms of people's awareness of what what this industry is i think i was reading a shopify um report recently about the top five trends for 2021 in e-commerce and fulfillment as a competitive differentiator or a competitive advantage was flagged as as one of the the most important things so i think you know with that natural logistics returns delivery is not a service is not a cost line for a retailer for me it's 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 one of the most important if not the most important of a consumer experience right the minute you, I agree. if you have a bad delivery experience And you open a box and that could be the box is too big and there's loads of space. It could be you missed a parcel. It could be the parcel's left wet. It could be you have to track down a driver, whatever it is. The whole e-commerce experience is wrong. The whole buying experience is wrong. And your likelihood to repeat purchase, your affinity to that retailer, your mental state when you next buy is in a much worse place. And so, like, flip it round. What drives loyalty, repeat purchase, high basket values, logistics and i think that realization is starting to happen and people have bought more so hopefully that will drive more people into it i don't know i think and i think more more diversity more opinion more challenge more debate this sort of thing uh, you know you and i have been at conferences where the speakers are all of a certain demographic they're older <laughs> they're white they're male um, i'm so glad yeah. you're saying this mike <laughs> uh, yeah i mean you are one of few few female senior leaders I've met in the industry and that's like yes but the, the more that changes the more there is diversity of opinion thought noise voice whatever it might be um the, the better and the more will will attract you know young passionate think different thinkers because I think that's what it needs it needs to be less Absolutely agreed. Um, if we look ahead a little bit, um, maybe also from your very international experience, what do you think is yet to come? I think there's a lot of learnings when it comes to customer experience, alternative delivery options. Uh, but what? how do you see, you know, let's say the next five years, what's the stuff that the carriers maybe should also focus on to make sure, um, yeah, they can differentiate and uh, survive once uh, this whole e-commerce boom is stabilizing? Yeah, so... so um I haven't got a prepared answer to that. So <laughs> but off the top of my head, um, the thing I think is is most interesting right now is if you, you know, and this applies in most markets you go to, but like our world is, um, once you fill the basket online, so once you put the three items or the one item into a checkout, you've got to do two things. You've got to pay for it and you've got to arrange delivery. Right. In the payments world, you've got, you know, typically loads of different payment options. You've got, The traditional Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, whatever it might be. Yeah. You've got the wallets, Google Pay, Apple Pay, Passbooks, um, Shop, Shop Pay, the Shopify payment. And then you've got the, the pay later businesses, Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay. So you've got a load of noise and, and payments businesses competing for share of wallet there. And then the delivery world, you've got three, four, five carriers in a market competing for that. Yeah. Like 
that's a mess and a noise. And it's really you know, the experience that we all get in every single um, every single checkout experience that we go through is is completely different. And it, this, these guys might have Klarna and Visa, and these guys have got Amex and, and Afterpay, and then you've got DHL and, and Hermes, and you've got DPD and GLS. And so it's a bit of a mess. And if you look at the best online experiences, they are, you know, on my phone, uh, I have... Mm-hmm. Apple Pay, and it's got my address populated. But I don't want to buy everything through Apple Pay on my phone because it doesn't actually have Poodle options or delivery options that I want. So there's something that I think that we're going to see about collaboration between payments and delivery businesses. I think payments businesses actually should be investing in or looking at the customer uh, engagement that delivery businesses are generating. So tracking and returns are two of the highest touch points that you see in 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 consumer engagement throughout the whole online purchase and return experience. Uh, and so the, the, the kind of bringing together of those two worlds and how that then manifests in some sort of shortening and simplifying of the of the payment and delivery process is, I think, a real area for innovation. Absolutely agreed. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, I want to end on that note, bringing together two worlds or maybe even more, you know, from the carriers to the end consumers to the technology behind it and all the alternative delivery options that we have out there. I think uh, we all are on a mission to bring these worlds together. I think technology can play a very big part and uh, Dodo Sword certainly is one of the players uh, together with you, Mike, uh, to watch out for. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciated your insights. Thanks, Dana. All right, that was the Logistics Drive podcast episode with Dana von der Heide and Mike Richmond from Doddle. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If so, consider recommending the podcast to some of your peers. And don't forget to subscribe to the Logistics Drive podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time. Logistics Drive.